Welcome to Canvas Church. You are listening to our weekly celebration service message. Thank you for tuning in. I don't know about you, but man, I, worship was awesome today. And so I want to encourage you, don't come at song three. A lot of you don't even know this, but we actually show a video before we start singing. What? Yeah. Try showing up over the next five weeks. Just get here early. Grab a cup of coffee. Talk with somebody and then make your way in right at 1029. Because I was told if something starts at 1030, if you show up at 1030, you're late. Okay? So get here and press in and go after it. And my promise to you is this, that if you do that over the next five to seven weeks, you will be able to design a life of freedom, joy, and impact. Freedom, joy. Now listen to the words there. You will be able to design it. Listen, God has an incredible plan for your life. Uh, but last time I checked, uh, the Bible uses some words like working out and exercise. It talks about exercising yourself toward godliness. Oh, it got quiet here when I mentioned exercise, right? It talks about working out your own self. Work out? What? Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Listen, just by showing up and sitting and just by going to small group, no, what's happening on Sunday morning and what's happening in your small group as we are getting biblical truths. Let me put it this way. We're getting tools from God's word that if we actually take those tools and go to work in our life, that we will be able to truly experience the wonderful life that God has for us. I believe that. And so my promise to you is I'm going to do my best to help bring those tools, but I want you to promise something in return that over the next five to seven weeks that you will give yourself to this. And I believe that if you do, you're going to see God do incredible things in your life. Okay? Now here's the key. The key is it might be the same biblical truth, but the way it works in everybody's life looks completely different. Okay? We can apply the same biblical truth, but what God's working in my life with that hammer is completely different what God's working in somebody else's life with that hammer. Right? In somebody's life, he's pounding in a nail. He's hanging something up. In somebody else's life, he's chiseling something off. Are you with me? Same tool, different purpose, but I believe this. Now, here's the key. So you can't look at somebody else's life and compare what God's doing in your life to what God's doing in theirs. Okay? And so we take these truths, we apply them, and guess what? I believe God will begin to work something supernatural in you. And we're going to talk about that a little bit today. John chapter 10, going to start in verse 1. And here's what's happening. Jesus now is going to be talking here right at the beginning. Okay? I love reading this from the Gospel of John. Gospel meaning the good news about Jesus Christ, one of the four major Gospels of the New Testament. But I particularly like the way John writes because John writes in a way of security. He knows who he is. He knows his identity. He knows that God or that Jesus loves him. You have other people in Scripture that we read about, for instance, like Peter, who as you read about his life, he's always trying to prove himself, right? He's always trying to put himself out there and saying, look how much I love you. And Jesus is like, okay, but, but you see how much I love you, right? John writes, matter of fact, John's so secure that when he writes about himself, he says, I'm the one that Jesus loves, Right? That's pretty powerful, and so that's going to come into play here, not only in this writing, but in this thought that I want to convey to you today out of John chapter 10, starting in verse 1, and it says, I assure you. Who's the I? This is Jesus, okay? So Jesus is saying this, and he's saying, I assure you, anyone who doesn't enter the sheep pen by the door but climbs in some other way is a thief and a robber. 
Okay, makes perfect sense. Seems pretty simple, right? If you have the key to the door, you're going to enter your house through the door, right? But anybody that's climbing over a wall or going through a window, well, they don't belong there. They're, they're a thief or a robber. The one who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. Now, who's the sheep in this thing? The sheep in this thing is us, okay? Now, I know that it, it kind of sounds cute, right? Like, oh, we're his sheep and he's our shepherd and we follow him. Um, if you ever want to do an interesting study, do a, do a study on sheep. Because apparently they're one of the dumbest animals out there. So I don't take, I'm not calling you dumb, apparently the Bible is. All right. Sheep, right? The doorkeeper opens it for him and, and the sheep, listen to this, I love verse 3. The doorkeeper opens it for him and the sheep hear his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he has brought all his own outside, he goes ahead of them. Now, the other thing I want you to notice here is that when Jesus is talking, he's talking in plurality. He's not talking individual. He's talking, in other words, that, that God, what God is doing, he's doing collectively as a body or as a community. He's taking his sheep and he's doing something with his sheep. Man, throughout Scripture, man, we see the context of community, which, which, which ultimately, if we can walk together and agree that something powerful would be done. That's why we encourage you to come Sunday mornings. That's why I strongly encourage you to get involved in a small group. If you haven't signed up for one, sign up for one today. Because I do believe this with all my heart, that the greatest work that God does in our life, He does it through the context of community. Right? And so get plugged in. And here's what I would ask you. Commit to that. Commit to that community for this small group session. Commit wherever it is. If this is not your church yet and you've been jumping around, man, just find a place, plug in, and then watch and see what God does. There's something now. I say that and I want you to know something. You're not going to like everything in your small group. You sometimes won't even like your small group leader. But there is a power in commitment. Okay? Uh, me and my wife just got back, I think I shared it, we just got back from Italy celebrating 20 years of marriage. And I didn't really share this with her on our anniversary, but I was reflecting on, so I'll share it with you right now, baby. Um, I was reflecting on 20 years of, of marriage, and here's what I've come to realize after 20 years. After 20 years, I love this woman more than I did when I said I do. But I've come to realize that doesn't mean I love everything about her. It doesn't mean I like everything she says, does, the way she acts. And in turn, she doesn't like everything about me. I saw that actually on our, on our way to get in Italy. We were eating one night, and I looked up, and she was looking at me with this disgusted look on her face. And I'm like, what? She's like, nothing. I'm like, no, there was a look there. That wasn't a nothing. What? She was like, you just, I mean, it was just kind of loud. What was loud? Well, you're just clanking the plate with your fork, and then you're taking bread and dipping it not on your plate, but in my plate, and it's just kind of like... And I just looked at her and went, two zero, baby, 20 years. It's kind of become our inside joke now. When we annoy each other, we're just like, 20 years. Huh. And you know, here's the other thing, is that I haven't always treated her with respect over 20 years, and she hasn't always treated me with respect over 20 years. We've done things to offend each other, We've done things to upset each other. But you know what? We're committed to one another. And there is something so powerful about commitment in the context of relationship. And so I want you to know something. As you commit to your small group, there are going to be things that annoy you. Right? It's just going to happen. 
But you know what? I'm telling you right now, if you just commit and get settled, then you're going to see God do something powerful in your life. Amen. And so he's talking to them in context of, of, the, of the sheep. The sheep follow him. Listen to this now. Because they recognize his voice. Powerful. They will never follow a stranger. Instead, they will run away from him. Stranger danger. Right? They know his voice. They follow him. Every other voice, that's a strange voice. I'm going to run. They, they don't just not follow. Listen to what the Bible says. It's not that they just don't follow it. They actually run from it. Run away from him because they don't recognize the voice of strangers. Jesus gave them this illustration, but they did not understand what he was telling them. So Jesus said again, I assure you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep didn't listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters me, he will be saved. That's a good verse right there. I am the door. And if anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will come in and go out and find pasture. Find enough. Find abundance. Find pleasure. Verse 10. A thief comes only to steal and to kill and to destroy. We'll read the rest of the verse. But I, Jesus, have come so that they may have life and have it in abundance. Yeah. Have it in abundance. Have a wonderful life. And I believe over the next many weeks, we're going to begin to see this. We're going to get some tools. We're going to begin to see the abundant life that God has for us. Lord, I thank you for your word. I pray that in the next few moments that we have together, that Lord, you would speak to us. God, that the message would be clear. The message would be concise. And we would walk out of here knowing your voice more clearly. Jesus' mighty name. Amen. And then there was that. There was a dad and a and a son who went to a store. Dad had to pick up some stuff. They walk into the store together. Dad finds all the stuff, goes up to the register to pay for it. And as he's paying for it, there's a big jar of candy sitting right by the register. How many parents hate that jar of candy? Right? <laughs> Your kids are eyeing it. So this little boy, he's eyeing the jar of candy, just sitting there staring at it. Dad looks down to say something to his son, sees his son staring at the candy. Dad knows instantly what the son wants. Guy checking him out, you know, ringing him up, looks at the kid, knows what the kid wants. So as they're checking him out, finally the, the guy at the register says, hey, go ahead, reach in there and grab some candy. The boy just sits there and stares at the jar. Dad kind of looks at him like, son, hey, he said you could have some. Son doesn't even move, just keeps staring at the jar. The owner's like, no, no, it's okay. I'm, I'm not going to charge you for it. Just reach in and, and grab some candy. This goes on for like three minutes. And the dad's like, I'm sorry, I don't know what's wrong with them. And so finally, the, the guy at the register just reaches in, grabs candy, and hands it to the kid. As soon as he does, the kid gets this big smile on his face. And as they're walking out, the dad looks at him and goes, hey, what, what was wrong with you in there? Nothing. He goes, why didn't you grab the candy? Because his hands were a lot bigger than mine. Right? That's one smart kid right there. He knew something. He knew that that guy's hands were a lot bigger than his hands. And if he reached in, he was going to get a lot more candy. Come on, somebody. You know what? John 10, 10 paints a powerful truth for our life. That God wants, through Jesus, to give us not only life, but life more abundant. 
And see, the problem is, is that too many of us are reaching in the jar for ourselves, trying to paint a picture of what that abundance looks like. We're, we're, we're trying to reach in the jar ourselves and say, okay, this must be the abundant life that God has for me. It, it means if I have a marriage, then I have abundant life. It means if I have this job, it means I have abundant life. It means if this happens, then I have abundant life. But we need to learn something today that God has an abundant life for us and we don't have to go out and manipulate it or try to take it or try to get it or try to achieve it. We just need to be like the kid and we need to wait and we need to wait and we need to wait and we need to wait. And as we wait, I guarantee you that God is going to hand you something better than you could have ever designed for yourself. Are you with me this morning? Yeah. Listen, this, this, this process though, man, can be, can just be time consuming sometimes. And you know what? As a dad, here's what I've, here's what I've realized as a father is that when my kids want something, I don't teach them the power of waiting. I want to, as a father, and many, many of us probably experience, I want to give it to them. I want to go ahead and make it happen. My kids have dreams, they have desires, and I find myself at times like pushing them into it. Hey, do this, do that. Hey, here's an opportunity. You know what I need to be doing? I need to be teaching them the power of waiting. The power of waiting on God. Because when God shows up and gives it to them, it's going to be far better than what anything I could have manipulated. Are you with me? The Bible tells us that He's come to give us life Life more abundant. And I believe that if you let God reach into the jar over the next five weeks, you're going to be absolutely amazed. Because here's the reality. I believe that everyone's sitting in here right now. You look at your life and, and, and no matter where you're at on your journey, both spiritually and just in, in, in the world, and you know, whether you're married, whether you're single, have kids, don't have kids, that, that there's areas of your life you would look at and say, I want more. I want more of them. I've never met a person that I've sat down and talked with that said, you know what? I want less in my life. Never. I've, everybody I've met is like, you know what? There's just a little, little bit more. And, and, and it, it doesn't even really matter about age. I remember like when I was young, of course I had dreams and ambitions and aspirations, right? And, and you say, I want to do this when I get older. You shoot for the moon. But the reality is, is that no matter where you take inventory in your life, that's why we have things called like midlife crisis. Hopefully you've only heard about it, not experienced it. Right? But there's this moment of there's got to be something more. And the truth of God's word is that there is. It's an abundant life in Christ Jesus. No, no, and here's the problem is that when we hear that word abundant life, we immediately begin to sketch out what that looks like. It means more in my bank account. It means my husband loves me more. Or my wife loves me more. Or we're taking more trips, or I have a bigger house, or I have an income house, or I have a different car, or I have... Right? But here's the reality. God doesn't think in terms of the natural. He thinks in terms of the supernatural. And His abundance will blow your abundant life out of the water. Right? He's come to give us life. And life more abundant. But we also see in that same verse, one verse... Not only is there God who's doing a work to give us an abundant life, there's on the flip side of that, there's, there's an enemy. Now you gotta hear me this morning because this is not a metaphorical enemy. 
This is not like a theory. This is not an idea. This is not bad stuff happening to me. Right? Are you with me this morning? Jesus paints a picture that there is a real enemy, as real as Jesus is, as real as God is, who wants to give you an abundant life. On the flip side of that, there is a real enemy that wants to steal, kill, and destroy. And the problem, here's the problem, is he's doing it without us even realizing it because somewhere in, 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 in church, we've kind of watered down what that is. And we, we talk about metaphorical enemies. And so we design messages around how you can have a better marriage. Now, inherently, there's nothing wrong necessarily with a, a series on how to have a better marriage. But the reality is, the reason you don't have a great marriage is because there is a real enemy doing a real work in your marriage trying to steal, kill, and destroy. And we need to understand that. Because if not, it just becomes this, yeah, no, things aren't going well. Why? Well, I'm single. And I'm in my 30s. But here's the deal. Now, I know some of you are like, you don't know nothing, Pastor. You just got back to Italy with your wife. Listen, I do know this, though, that you can still go to heaven single. You can go to heaven single. Right? Well, we do, we do messages on, on, hey, here's how you can get more finances. Great. You know what? You can still go to heaven poor. But you cannot get to heaven with sin in your heart. And so what happens is, is, is we dance around all of these issues rather than addressing some heart stuff. Right? And the enemy just keeps chipping away. Still killing the destroy. But Jesus came to give us life and life more abundant. But we must recognize that we face a spiritual enemy. Just jot down Ephesians 6.12. Talks about the spiritual enemy that we're facing. And just, just know this, as we, as we go through this, you will see the enemy start to manifest, though, in some of those ways. I, yeah, I, pastor said we're going to have an abundant life. And we're three weeks into this thing, and man, me and my wife are arguing more than we ever have. There's a real enemy. Man, my kids are misbehaving like never before. Remember when that's a lie, they've misbehaved me like that before. But, right? These things are going to happen because there's a real enemy. Because we, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but principalities and powers. But God has life and life abundant for you. This word life is the word zoe. The word zoe, it literally, it means uh, literally life or existence. In other words, we're all here and we have zoe. We're breathing, you got here somehow, which tells me you're alive. You're here. We're, we're breathing, we're living, we're alive. Man, he gave us life, but the Bible doesn't stop there. He doesn't just want you to have life. He wants you to have abundant life. And too many times we stop as believers just, well, this is life. This is the way it is. No, 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 no. The way it is, according to Scripture, is we have abundant life. Not just life, not just existence, not just getting through. And, and yes, we'll walk through the same, same obstacles and, and things that others walk through, but listen to the rest of it. We can have abundance in that. What does the word abundant mean? I love this. The word abundant is the word parisos, and I'm probably saying it wrong. Get over it. It means over and above. 
It means more than is necessary. Just, just grab onto that for a moment. The Bible is telling me, I've come to give you life. And by the way, I'm going to give you more than what is necessary. Really? Yeah. It means super added. I've come to give you life and more than what is necessary. He's, he's, he doesn't want to give you just enough to get by. He doesn't want you to get, get enough to just kind of float through. I guess this is all there is to life. No. No, all there is to life is more than is necessary. This is good. This is what he comes to give. On the flip side of that, though, there's a thief. And the thief comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. Now, I've, I've looked at that for, for many years, and I've always had this question because stealing, like he's going to steal something from me? Okay, he's a thief. He steals something. He's going to kill me. What, what does that look like? And then he's going to destroy. And I, I thought to myself, after I'm dead, really, what else is there to destroy? So let me just break it down for you. I, I believe this is the way I, I see it as we walk through it here today. Number one, the thief comes to steal. Number one, steal your identity. He comes to steal your identity. Now, I'm not talking about uh, your identity and what you do. Because too many of us find our identity in what we do. As a matter of fact, that's one of the tools the enemy uses to rob you of your true identity. You begin to find your identity in, in something you achieve or something you do. And, and all of a sudden, this is, becomes who you are. No, who you are is a son and a daughter of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. That's your identity. You're a child of God. You belong to Him. Listen to what John wrote. He said, my sheep know my voice. They hear it and they follow. They know whose they are. They know who they belong to. They know that, okay, that, that's the other ones. They don't just go away. They run from it. They know their identity. But yet the enemy comes to steal our identity. He comes, and he comes subtly. He comes in different ways. One of the biggest ways I just talked about, it, we begin to find our identity in doing something. I, I faced this. I faced it growing up. Three older brothers and trying to find my place in the family as the best-looking, smartest, most handsome one. I need one more amen right from the Yes, Jesus. I didn't hear my mom say amen. I don't know. Ushers, can we escort her out, please? She's not... <laughs> I, I faced this. I faced this when we first started the church because I started to find my identity in the fact that I was a pastor. And so I, there was expectations. I had to live up to it. Why are you sharing that? Because you and you do the same thing. We place these expectations on ourselves. Right? It's robbing us of our identity. This is who I am. This is what I've become. So much so that here's what happens is I begin to people please. Anybody ever been there before? And so can you imagine being the pastor trying to please the people in the church? Now at the time, there was like 60 of us. Okay? But I would have somebody come one week like, hey, pastor, I think we should do more of this. And so guess what we would do next week? More of that. Because when you're first starting out, you don't want to lose anybody. Right? Yeah, yeah, of course we should be doing that. So you want to do it. But then I have somebody come that week and they're like, why are we doing that? And I'll be like, yeah, that's a great question. And guess what we wouldn't do? We wouldn't do that anymore. And so like the, for the first year of the church, it was like, 
What are we searching for? And so I just had an encounter and just said, you know what? I am not a pastor. I'm a son of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. I have a calling on my life right now to be a pastor, but at any moment he could change that calling. He could call me into something different. He could move me on somewhere else. So my identity cannot be in the fact that I'm a pastor. My identity has to be in the fact that I'm a son of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. That gives me security. That's who we are. We've got to know our identity, but yet he comes to steal our identity. It happens so subtly. It really does. It happens. As a matter of fact, if, if it happened, like just, here's the thing. Uh, I, I wish that when the enemy came, he came like the cartoon figure. Right? Anybody with me? Like you watch the game, and I wish a red spandex wearing horned red guy, you know, with a pitchfork would show up. Like, ah, that's the devil, can't get me. You don't show up like that. Right? It's subtle. He steals, he begins to chip away. Pretty soon we, we don't know who we are. So we're not following his voice. Matter of fact, you know, the, uh, Paul uh, wrote um, a pastoral epistle to a, a man named Timothy. And in it, he actually says this. He says, hey, in the last days, just know this, that people are going to follow words or teachings that tickle their ears. They're going, oh, that, that's, that sounds good. What is he warning? He's warning against false doctrine. But in essence, what he's saying is you need to know the voice of him. And God can use people to be the vessel that brings that voice. But here's the thing. You say, well, what does God's voice sound like? It sounds like your Bible. Read that. Do that. Are, are you with me? So many people like, ah, Pastor, I've had this question so many times. Like, I just don't know how to hear the voice of God. I do. But no, Pastor, I want to know what he's speaking to me. No, but right now for this moment in my life. But like, like no, because I'm walking through some financial. But no, you don't understand. Like I don't. It's right here. All you need is right here. That's his voice. It's really clear. You just got to read it. But if you don't like to read, there's a really cool app. And you can actually listen to the voice of God. In the King James, the New King James, the ESV, the NLT, the message, you can listen to it. Some of them even have music behind it as it's being read. You feel like you're in heaven and angels and it's like, whoa! It's awesome. Right here right here, but I don't know who I am. Comes to steal our identity. Because if he can steal our identity, number two, or catch this, he can kill our authority. See, if you don't know who you belong to, you don't know that you're a son or a daughter of the Most High God, you don't know that, then all of a sudden you don't realize the power and the authority that's available to you as a Christ follower. 
And so we just accept things as they are. We accept our present realities for our future destiny. But that is not what God has for us. God has abundant life. And so we see ourselves, present reality, I'm in poverty. Well, I guess that's the way it's going to be. Yeah, if you accept it. We look at our present reality in this, I guess this is the way my marriage is going to be. Yeah, if you accept it. You don't have to accept it. You can go to God in prayer. And in prayer, I'm telling you there, the Bible says we're not wrestling against flesh and blood. We're wrestling against principalities and powers in heavenly places. How do we do that? Through prayer. And when we begin to pray, we begin to unite ourselves with the workings of God, something powerful happens. But if I don't realize that I'm a son or a daughter, I don't even realize I can go to Him, and therefore my power and my authority is robbed from me. He wants to kill the authority you have. We just finished up our summer road trip series. Last week, Pastor Miguel preaching in the, the first service out of chapter 15. And then Pastor Melissa finishing off with chapter 16. Great messages, both of them. But in chapter 16 of Mark, it actually talks about the authority that belongs to us. It says, believers in my name will lay hands on the sick and they'll recover. That's pretty powerful. See, some of you didn't even know that. Well, we can do that. Yes. How do you know that? It's in the Bible. And so, and here's the thing. I know when I'm sick, I don't want to just be like, well, I guess I'm just going to be sick. No, we pray in our family. We pray. It's the first thing we do. We pray. I'm not just going to accept it. When we walk through difficult times, we pray. I was just, I was just talking with one of my daughters this morning. Say, hey, baby, told her some stuff. Here's what you need. You need to pray about it. You need to pray. Because there's authority. Because we know who we belong to. And we belong to Him. And there is somebody with me this morning. See, the problem, here's the problem. The problem for some of us is we're not walking in abundant life because we're not taking authority that we have in Christ Jesus because we don't know what our identity is. And so stuff is just happening. But we can say, no. Listen, when, when uh, my kids have, uh, have friends over, um, and, and the friends, this doesn't happen often because they got really good friends. But occasionally when those friends do things they shouldn't be doing in our house, you know what my kids say? Hey, you need to stop that. And they go, why? Because my dad doesn't like it. Like walking on couches. It's one of those things I don't like. I don't like it. I don't want your stinky feet on my couch. Well, I'm going to lay my head down and watch some football later. I'm like, whose feet are those? So they tell their friends, hey, you can't do that. And they're like, why? Dad doesn't, dad doesn't like it. Oh, your dad doesn't? Okay, I'm done. Okay. Why do my kids feel like they can do that? Because they know they belong to me. And they know they're in their house. And so therefore they have authority and power to tell this thing. Hey, you need to stop that. Why? If not, dad... Okay. You know, that same thing exists in our lives as believers. We don't have to accept things the way they are. We don't have to accept this thing or that thing or this other thing. You know, we can say, hey, you need to stop that. And if the enemy says, why? We can say, because my dad doesn't like it. 
Hey, sickness, you got to go. Why? Because my dad doesn't like it. Hey, poverty, you got to go. Why? Because my dad doesn't like it. We just need to understand that we belong to him. Therefore, we have authority. Say, Are you with me this morning? Comes to steal our identity so he can kill our authority. But that's not the ultimate. So he comes to destroy. What does he come to destroy? Your destiny. Your abundant life. Your wonder life. See, he's not just after stealing your identity for identity's sake. He's not just after killing your authority for authority's sake. Ultimately, what he wants to do is he wants to strangle your destiny. And your destiny, listen to me, I believe there is an abundance on earth, but ultimately the abundance is in heaven, a life of eternity with him. And if he can stop that, he wins. And so he has us running around dealing with trivial things rather than focusing on the sin that is in humanity's heart that will separate you from eternal life with Christ Jesus. you just running around the same mountain. This thing's going bad in my life, and this thing's going bad in my life, and this thing's going bad in my life. It ain't about the bad that's happening there. It's about that he is distracting you from the real root issue of sin. Where do wars come from? Where do contentions and battles and fights come from? James says it comes from your heart. Wives submitting to your husbands is not a difficult thing. Because there's sin. Either heart. Sin issue. The enemy comes. Steals our identity. Destroys our authority. So we hold you your destiny. Life. Life abundant. So, so, Pastor, what do I do? Real easy. James 4, 7 through 8. Submit to God. Submit to God. Submit to God. Come under. And resist the devil. The word resist means to literally stand against. It doesn't just mean, it's kind of like, it's kind of like what the, the, the John talked about. It's not just be like, oh, that's not my shepherd. It's like, we're running from that thing. Verse 8, James chapter 4, draw near to him. Draw near to him. The word draw, it means to walk hand in hand. Walk hand in hand with God. And he will walk hand in hand. Thank you for joining us today. For more information, please visit our website at www.canvaschurchsd.com.